recording. Before I get winded, like the guy who sprinted in from the bullpen and then was so gassed by the time he got to the mound he couldn't pitch. Who's that? Oh, John Boy did a great video on it. Anyway, hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, Your Statistics and Sports Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joshua Tracing, and I am the other one, Corwin Heller. Oh, and how we have so much to talk about. There's bullshit going on in the world of baseball, the fun kind, the goofy kind, where the consequences aren't very severe. And the NFL draft is set and ready to go. As you are listening to this, it is Thursday, April 29th, and that means that the draft is tonight. As we're recording this, it is the day before April 28th, in case you can't uh, subtract one there. Can't math. Yeah, it's barely even math. It's kind of just counting. Uh, but anyway. Um, Way to rub it in. Yeah, well, fuck you. So we're going to do a little bit of draft stuff. Corwin, do you want to start with the draft stuff? Or do you want to? That seems like it make more sense. Versus starting with baseball, finishing on the draft. Honestly, it doesn't make a difference to me either way. I think we should do the draft stuff so that we make sure we get to all the points you had. Sure. See, that's going to be stuck in my head this whole time. Yeah, we before just... we started recording, Corwin and I started rapping um, Hip Hopopotamus or Rhymnoceros, whichever the song it's actually I'm called. I'm the Hip Hopopotamus. My lyrics are bottomless. Other rappers diss me. <laughs> so you have Sit to leave the awkward pause in there while you do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so Corwin, uh, where do you want to start with some of our... So we, we did a full first round mock draft, but um, what are some of the other storylines we should know heading into the big day? Yeah, I really just want to touch on a few things that either are going to affect the first round, uh, are going to affect players specifically not necessarily not necessarily teams although we will get to that uh, a little bit later on uh, but really just rumors and noise and just little things about certain players that may cause a slide may cause them to jump up and here we are um, so probably the way we'll go through this is by well I'll save the quarterbacks for last we'll go by expected draft position I guess um so Caleb Farley I had him as my number one cornerback this year guy's athletic freak um he is in my mind the guy with the most room to grow not necessarily the best cornerback but the one that is um I think destined for possibly the highest peak if things work out supposedly he has gone through some pretty serious surgeries in the past has gone through and played through some serious injuries um, and is still overcoming uh, a surgery that uh, essentially ended his uh, season in 2020. Um, he's been dealing with a back injury for more than two years, leading to two surgeries since 2019. Um, he also had a wrist injury that he played through and is now on a current 16-week recovery period uh, for a microdisectomy, which I don't know what that is, but at the same time, I don't really think it sounds like they're partially cutting him open and seeing what's inside. <laughs> yeah, and you know, like like you know, you, you no dissect matter. frogs in science class. Like you 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 go in there and you take everything out. So it's like a microdisectomy. So it's like we're taking we're taking <laughs> out some of your stuff. And either way, that's in his back. 
in which the back. is not a place I really want to fuck with. You know, in the, in the back. So he herniated his L5 disc and bulged his S1 joint, which he hurt deadlifting. Um, he's has battled sciatica. I'm really glad I pronounced that right and knew what it was while I was reading it. Skyata. Skyatika. Skyatata. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I would have just collapsed and this episode would have been over. Uh, and then had a disectomy in February 2020 to remove part of a bone that was causing discomfort. And here we are. So he's still feeling weakness in some of his big toes. Some of his big toes. Some of his toes. The one big toe. <laughs> Some of his big toes, at least 30% of his big toes. Why use many words when few words do trick? Um, But he's still going through that now. He tore his ACL in 2017, plays a speed position where these kind of injuries, these constant nagging injuries are going to shorten his career. And no matter what his potential is, no matter how good he is and the talent that he has, it's at a point where, you know, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan Jr. are such good prospects on their own right easily either one of them could be a serious cornerback one for any given team that i think his draft stock's really going to suffer uh is going to fall probably to the back end of the first round at the least um if not more and i definitely think we could see a team like um the saints try and snag him with their pick uh at 26 i don't remember where they pick and it doesn't matter late yeah, I closed all my tabs for that. Which is fine. Um, and which is fine for me. It take, takes a lot of effort for that to happen. Right. So Josh is uh, kind of known for uh, having 650 tabs open at any given time. and it every, is every given time. Truly infuriating to watch. But at the same time, uh, it's one of those things where we'll, we'll allow it because we kind of we kind of like the guy sometimes i have to like really check myself with the tabs on like my google chrome on my phone because i'll have like 50 tabs open at a time because i don't like i don't look at how many i have open and it's not like when you crack open your laptop and you go like oh shit that's way too much shit at the top of my screen it's like just the one thing you're looking at so i just keep opening and opening and opening and i never fucking think to close them (laughs) and then i'll purge like 25 30 so i'll still have like 20 fucking tabs open because i convinced myself no no i need to leave that recipe open because one day i will make that and it has been sitting open the fucking new york times food section recipe shit's been open for like three months already and i ain't fucking even thought about it yeah it's bad that's that's absolute insanity and i don't know how you do it i think we should all live that life i think we should all live that life uh next up i'm actually glad we went on that tangent because it allowed me to do some more research on our next talking point mr terrence marshall jr wide receiver out of lsu i should mention caleb farley is a cornerback from virginia tech uh so i had terrence marshall going to the saints at the back end of the first round now where i think would be a nice fit for caleb farley Supposedly at the Combine, a extensive medical history dating back to high school has really soured multiple teams on his draft stock. Um, he missed time with a lower leg injury in high school, missed time at LSU because of a stress fracture in his foot. He only played nine games as a freshman, opted out after the seventh game of this past season to prep for the draft. 
he's got a short career. He stood out in his short career, but at the same time, the medical history stuff is not something that's privy to the media, not something that's privy to the general public. And it's a lot of speculation at this point. It could easily be a smokescreen for a team to try to lower his draft stock so that they can swoop in and snag him without moving up. And it could be completely legitimate where we see Terrence Marshall fall to the late second round. We could see him go to the third, like we saw with uh, DK Metcalf. It's something that, you know, you need to keep an eye on, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm torn because it's one of those things where this time of year, every single year, you hear a hundred different storylines and it's just parsing through to figure out what you trust the most and what you would agree with, what you're willing to put weight in and, and what you have to just toss aside like you believe it's a smokescreen. So because it's medicals, because there's really no way of confirming any of it, it's difficult to say, but I would now be surprised if he is taken in the first round, which was already a bit of a stretch. I think it's now a fairly decent chance he doesn't get taken in the second. Ooh, so you think he's fallen. I think he's fallen. Teams get scared when, you know, the clock's running. They're running out of time. You can't really do all that due diligence unless it's an absolute value in your mind. Teams, I could easily see, you know, hey, if we have, you know, Terrence Marshall and Elijah Moore with the same grades, one of them has a questionable medical history, the other doesn't. Okay, let's go this way. All right, Terrence Marshall, Kadarius Tony. It might be a little different. Let's take Tony because he doesn't have those question marks. That's, you know, that's how slides start, and uh, one team will, will still be in love with them. Okay. Uh, this next one is a little bit of a surprise. Actually, you know what? We'll go, we'll talk the Steelers and then close out on, on the wacky, waney one. Uh, apparently Ian Rappaport reporter and insider for the NFL network. Ian uh, Rappaport, the reporter. It's just a lot of, it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of those sounds. Bitch. Reported Um, by Ian Rappaport, the reporter. I, was trying to think of the word insider, could not at first, and was trying to buy myself time because words are hard. That's usually how those sentences get bungled up. Either I'm combining and things just kind of layer on top of each other, or I am just struggling. Both of those can be true at the same time. Or both, yeah. Yeah. Either way, um, he has spoken to many people, and almost all of them believe that the Steelers want to draft Najee Harris with the first pick in their draft, number 24 overall. It's not a surprise. Uh, Kevin Colbert, uh, Steelers GM, uh, dismissed the notion earlier today that uh, first-round running backs are risky as far as a value proposition goes. Um, That's stupid. If you have a dynamic player at any position, that player can make a difference, and running back is no different. And we've talked about this a bit in the past where (sighs) – We both agree paying big contracts to anyone but, you know, truly special running backs is just a waste of money and almost never brings back the kind of value that you're investing. Late running backs in the draft in the middle rounds are a dime a dozen because they seem to be found every year. It's just kind of deciding which one that will be. And that's up to your scouting department. And we've seen a fair risk, uh, mostly injury wise, 
from early running backs in the first round. But we've also seen, you know, Saquon Barkley. We've seen, you know, Todd Gurley, who up until his injury or his knees kind of just disintegrated, has been excellent. Christian McCaffrey, Ezekiel Elliott. You've seen first round guys make a huge difference for teams and are just a major focal point of any offense. But at the same time, we're here talking about the Steelers. And you have to look at the situation surrounding it, not just their running back depth as, you know, in a vacuum. And you need to realize, hey, you know, you have two good guards. You're all pro center retired. You're losing your left and right tackle. And you're having two guys who have shown some flashes, who have shown, you know, uh, the capacity, not necessarily the consistency to play in uh, Chucks Okorafor and um, God damn it, it's going to drive me insane because um, fuck it's going to kill me. It's really going to kill me um, because we just signed him this year. He's a, uh, a Steelers fan favorite. Um, oh my God, it's going to hurt me. I'm, I'm in the middle of looking at it. I'm just trying to buy time again. Um, I got no whatever. fucking clue. Yeah, and as I know. It looks right it's, here. it's not. It's I got not no neck. It's not in Google. First up, so I'm struggling. I was. Tackle, I was right at tackle. a wedding. Zach Banner. Oh, okay. we did it, guys. We got to Zach Banner, your friendly Jewish loving Steelers right tackle. I just want to share that I was at a wedding the other day, and I was standing mm-hmm. behind at the church. Um, you know, one. You know the type of fat people that got no neck. Mm-hmm. It was that. Which is fine, but what was funny was that his collar was clearly too tight because that's the fucking bitch thing about uh, men's dress shirt collars mm-hmm. because Always they never they're either too tight or comically loose, and mm-hmm. it looks like you're wearing a different shirt that is unbuttoned, and it's and, especially hard when you're heavy set. And I have a very small neck because I am a very scrawny guy, you know. In case you can't tell, and. I always have the issue of no matter how tight I make my tie, it's either choking me because that's just the way dress shirts can be, or it's just like a gap opening up. And it's right. just like, uh, there's nothing I can do here, but this looks terrible. I'm sorry. And so the guy, the, the shirt was so tight that he had like the neck fat bulge, but he also had no neck. So it looked like the back of his head just like kept going past his shirt. And uh, that's what that's what this made me think of because you know what? Sometimes headskins are really funny. <laughs> I fucking hate you sometimes, man. I really do. Yeah, I know. Oh man. Oh, so to get back to the whole running back thing, because you you mentioned uh. Christian McCaffrey, you mentioned you mentioned Saquon Barkley, and you mentioned. Um, Zeke and Gurley. I didn't pull up Zeke, but I pulled up Tucker. Let me pull up Zeke too. Because the problem is, is basically what, what you would, it's, if you are so high in the draft mm-hmm. that you can take one of these guys, you probably have a bigger need than running back. And that's the difference. Yeah. It's not that. And I know you agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is for the stupid piece of shit, whoever you quoted. Um, because if we look at general manager, yeah, fuck the Steelers general manager. You have had you've had Ben Roethlisberger for like 
20 fucking years. What do you know about positional need, bitch? So anyway, if you were to draft, so the Rams in 2015, when they drafted Todd early and holy shit, I can't believe that was 2015. If that is uncomfortably long ago, um, could have had one of Jameis Winston or Marcus Mariota at the time, both of which were considered good picks. Or sorry, no, they couldn't. Those went one and two. Sorry, I meant to go the other way. My bad, folks. Um, you said it, and I was like, I I really don't think that's true. No, they couldn't have. But they could have <laughs> taken Marcus Peters at, at cornerback who panned out, you know, fucking phenomenally. Andrews Pete on offensive not, tackle. Not for them, though. Well, yeah, but, you know. Um I'm trying to think of who else was really a difference making player here. I should pull Landon up. Collins at safety. That was a good guy. What year was this? 20... 2015. Byron Jones, a corner. He's been a, a good guy. And it's just that, like, no. Where where do we got this? Todd, Todd Gurley contributes, but there's it, it's it's just not that it, it's it's not the most impact making position that you can go with. You know, especially with that 2015. Imagine the Rams right now had um, had drafted Marcus Peters instead of eventually trading for Marcus Peters. And what a difference it would have been in the development of their defense over time. You know, it would have meant that they probably would have had to spend less capital acquiring Marcus Peters later fucking anyway and would have allowed them to make more differences with fewer additions by having part of their field locked down a little bit. And you go and let's look at the 2016 draft with Ezekiel Elliott. He got taken fifth over fourth overall when the Cowboys at that time could have taken Jalen Ramsey, Ronnie Stanley, DeForest Buckner, Laramie Tunsil, but that was a whole story. Uh, Keanu Neal, right? Uh, they didn't really need an offensive tackle at that point in time or a center for Ryan Kelly. Uh, Kenny Clark. I mean, now granted, it worked out fine for them because they found a fourth round um, nugget. Jesus Christ. What? Um, I'm just looking at back at that 2015 draft with Todd Gurley. That year, the Rams took three offensive tackles, three offensive tackles, clearly a major need for that team. And three picks after Todd Gurley is taken, Andrus Pete goes to the Saints, who's been a three-time Pro Bowler and an absolute lockdown uh, offensive lineman for them. Cool. It's just bad drafting. And then you look, let's look at the Carolina Panthers. They take Christian McCaffrey at eight. After that, two picks later, Patrick Mahomes. Four picks later, Deshaun Watson. I mean... Could you imagine the Panthers if they had Patrick Mahomes right now? Who's their quarterback that year? This is 2017, so I think this so was the Cam. F- I I think this was the first year Cam was hurt and didn't play. Mm. Damn! Let me could check. you imagine that though? Uh, fucking no! It'd be no. crazy. Let's see, Carolina in 2017. Um. Yeah, Derek Anderson played the majority of their snaps that year. That's fucking awful. And look, like, I I can't blame him because Cam Newton was an MVP at that point, was a guy who took your team to the Super Bowl. I just, you don't move on from him yet. You assume he could come back from that surgery. But even so, like, that is a, a rough draft where, you know, Jamal Adams just got taken before you. Sorry. 
Marshawn Lattimore. All oh, no, I'm sorry. Cam Newton started all 17 of those games. Oh, no, 2017 draft. So there would have been. No, yeah. In 2017. Yeah, 2017 to 2018. All right. So then, yeah. Yeah, then never mind. I am. Yeah, I'm wrong. That was Cam Newton played that whole season then. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, great player. I'd rather have an all pro cornerback. I'd rather have, you know, one of the two all pro cornerbacks here. Jonathan Allen is an awesome defensive uh, edge rusher, defensive lineman for them. There's a lot of good players here. Garrett also, Bowles turned into an all-pro caliber league. guy. Tredavious White's wow. three, three all-pro caliber corners in this first round. Oh, and TJ Watts there. Ruben Foster, Ryan Ramchick. A lot of all-pro in this draft. That's pretty cool. And we talked about the Saquon Barkley pick a bunch about, like, who else the Giants would have taken. And, you know, the pick at the time was Sam Darnold and hasn't worked out for the Jets. To be determined if his career is salvageable, but – Point being, it still wasn't the smartest move because the Giants delayed the inevitable of having to draft a quarterback anyway and are arguably in a worse position than the Jets right now, even yes. though they have Saquon Barkley. And uh, right. you got to ask yourself, is it all fucking worth it? And it sure doesn't seem like it is. You want to know what the big difference between the Jets and the Giants are right now? Tell me. You know, if you if you take away the the unfortunate reality of Jets fans being so constantly fucked constantly fucked that's a good way to put it uh I was gonna say institutionalized by their team uh because they are basically trapped in this belief that their team will always suck um the Jets should have a lot of hope right now because you're getting a great head coach can or head coach I should say coming in you have really great players that you've been able to bring in in free agency, at least compared to the guys you've been able to bring in the past couple of years. You have a ton of cap space. You have the second overall pick. You have piece, key pieces that you can build around. Giants have key pieces they can build around, but they're not in a position to take a franchise quarterback, which they still need. Their coaching situation is not nearly in the same area not in the same you know tier and they're kind of stuck treading water without an offensive line their second overall pick Saquon Barkley has been hurt because of it he just you know it's incapable of carrying that team himself their defense is good but not great they're they're not in the same kind of spot the Jets are and that's you know I know you are slow to accept that because it's the Jets but hey here we are here we are, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of controversial I, because it's fascinating how there can be times and teams specifics where math and analysis can show value and teams will resist to structure their strategy around those concepts and those valuations. Because if, if there's you know, the Steelers GM could just be like talking shit to try to get another team to waste a pick on a running back high so that a player he likes falls a little bit farther down, gives him better odds to take that player. It could be some, you know, mm-hmm. game theory shit like that, whatever. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we see this shit all the time. It was a slow move to adjust um, for MLB for a lot of teams to adjust the concept of 
on base percentage over batting average and launch angle as just a concept that can be measured and then built into a player's swing. And, you know, you had teams like the Orioles and the Mets that just like said, fuck that shit. We got to hire people fucking no. And then Mm -hmm. didn't for like a decade. And, you know, now they're getting better, but it's still, you wasted all that fucking time. And you, you know, you have to wonder with football being so much less accustomed to that building of valuations mathematically the way baseball inherently is if there's going to be any gaps maybe not necessarily like raised to Orioles style where there's such extremes because I'm not sure that those extremes will ever exist in football but you gotta wonder because I'm willing to bet that there is some value controversy in the draft as there seems to be every year yeah i mean it's one of those things where if you look at how contracts are structured and the basically fixed rate that you're getting a player at um based off of his draft position getting a starting caliber right tackle in say tevin jenkins who you know obviously if you listen to the mock draft is is the guy i'm heavily favored um you know, I want the Steelers to take getting a starting caliber right tackle for five years locked in at his, you know, draft slot versus the cost of a, a starting running back as a, a, you know, a first round talent. Let's say both players live up to their full potential. Running back is just such a significantly cheaper, less expensive, less cost efficient in this scenario for the Steelers to take, not to mention, you know, the ability to re-sign and, and likelihood to re-sign where, hey, you draft a right tackle, the chances of you re-signing him to a second deal is fairly good, especially at a, a, a um, organization like the Steelers who both have been known to extend their own guys, have been very good at taking care of their own guys, whereas you don't want to sign a running back to a second deal. I mean, if you're a team that is capable of contending, if you're a team that is ready to compete, you can punt the running back position for a while, take on late in the first round, leading into when you're trying to contend, you have them for four, even you know five years, still relatively cost-controlled compared to you know the likelihood of them being able to put up a, a significant offensive impact. But that's a final piece to take, not a foundational piece. You know, I can't say I'm going to be super upset if they take Najee Harris. I think he's going to be a tremendous offensive, you know, dynamic piece for whatever team takes him in the draft. And I think he's going to pay off for whatever team takes him if they're in a situation to contend, if they're in a situation to compete. And don't have him stick around for three years while we retool, rebuild, look for another cornerback, quarterback, I should say, in the hopes that we find one and contend while he's still under contract. So here's to hoping that's a that's a smokescreen. At this point, I'm if I had to put money on it, I would put money on Najee being the pick just because that's everything we've heard, and the Steelers are fairly predictable with guys they are interested in i mean there's certain markers um to to look for for the steelers often it's you know both tomlin and colbert being at certain pro days 
at the combine, you know, eyeing up certain guys. This year's a little different, so it's hard to tell, but that's my prediction. Mm, okay. Uh, and so the last one I have here for the uh, NFL draft, uh, Javante Williams, uh, running back out of North Carolina, who I would love the Steelers to take in the second round is now being talked about. There's a lot of buzz under him being a potential first round riser getting taken around, you know, the mid to late twenties as the first running back off the board and the first running back for a lot of teams. Now, you know, with Najee Harris, you have more of a, a strength, like a power runner, really good at catching the ball, really good at um, uh, blocking can do it all, can do it all at a high level in between the tackles, burst outside, can catch the ball. Travis Etienne, you know, between the tackles kind of runner, immense north-south speed, and is a guy who could be a lightning bolt for your team. Javante Williams is more of this dynamic focusing on pass or catching, you know, passes, working out, you know, in the flat, working out, you know, if you want to move him to the slot, I know a lot of teams are doing that now with, with their pass catching running backs is just more of that Alvin Kamara mold, as opposed to Najee, I would say is I'm not trying to compare the two. I'm just saying the mold of Saquon Barkley with what he is physically able to do where he excels. Um, I could see teams really having Williams above a guy like Travis Etienne just having, you know, a more dynamic play set, a style of running that would fit certain teams better. I could totally see that. I just don't see him jumping the G Harris. I think Harris is too good of a player all around. I think he's too complete of a player to really lose that kind of throne that he has right now as the top running back. And um, I know ETN was kind of the guy talked about last year because he was doing this for so long and as was such a, dynamic explosive part of that Clemson offense when they won the title Heisman finalists, you know, definitely talked about there. Najee Harris through the draft stages has always been the number one guy. And I just don't see the night before the draft Javante Williams being the surprise first round jump. So I don't see it. Anything is possible, but um, I, I kind of see that one as more smoke than anything else. Hmm. Who do you think he'd go to? See, that's what's tough is uh, outside of the Steelers, I don't think there's many teams here that are really looking for running backs. I just don't – I don't know what team would be willing to invest in that early on. I mean, Tampa could. I mean, I predicted them getting Harris mostly because Harris is a – or I think I projected them ETN because he is a better, you know, Ronald Jones – to match with uh, Leonard Fournette that they re-signed. I kind of don't see Williams coming in and being that guy unless Tom Brady's like, hey, I need a running back that can catch balls. I need my James White. I need my Rex Burkhead. I need my Deion Lewis, you know, and the 15 guys before him, um, maybe. Uh, but it's, it's hard to see him get projected anywhere, especially over Harris, because at that point, it's just throwing darts. Okay. I yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, you uh, you want to talk this Teddy Bridgewater trade? Yeah, yeah. So the uh, the the 
Carolina Panthers, Jesus Christ, have traded Teddy Bridgewater to the uh, Denver Broncos. Oh, my God. I'm, like, playing with the article, even though I know all these details anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. An article I had up, and I'm just waiting to load. And, oh, boy, can I not talk. Uh, For a sixth-round pick in this 2021 draft. And that's it. One, One for one there. Teddy Bridge for a number six. Immense value for Denver. I think we're at the point where, you know, he got hurt, came back from injury, signed with the Saints. You think, hey, this is, you know, where he's going to, you know, build himself back up. Drew Brees is going to eventually retire. Teddy's going to take over. There was still a good amount of hype coming off of his knee dislocation. Then you see him go to um, Carolina. He finally starts. Okay, there's some weapons there. We'll have Joe Brady this year. We could finally see a breakout from Teddy Bridgewater. And we still saw this, you know, we still saw this game manager type player where he's not taking chances down the field. He's not pushing the ball downfield, checking down easy passes across the middle, low depth of target. Just has not kind of really lived up to his hype leading into the draft originally. And so here we are, you know, seeing a quarterback, a starting caliber quarterback, even if it's a low end starting caliber, you know, in the, the mid 20s, if you were, we were going to rank them again. Go for a six round pick is kind of crazy, but at the same time, you know, everyone knew the, the Panthers were trying to trade them. We're right before the draft, so they weren't going to get much value afterwards. Um, and this is just kind of what it's come to i mean i think it's a great trade for denver just to kind of throw that dart um but yeah not not moving the needle for me no i mean it's perfectly reasonable teddy bridgewater i guess wants a chance to start and it's like you said you know it's kind of uncertain what the situation is in denver and it's uncertain enough that i I guess he maybe is able to compete depends on how denver wants to run their offense i guess uh, but it's it's very certain that no matter what, Carolina's not starting him because why else trade for Sam Darnold? And it's not fitting for – I think Teddy wants to – if he's going to have a backup role, I'm sure he wants to have a more important backup role, a chance where he could actually get into more games, and that's to be found elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, Denver's still looking for a QB. They don't think Drew Locke's their guy. Um, just not a very efficient passer. They're bringing in the polar opposite and Teddy Bridgewater. And we're going to see, hey, which of these works better in our <laughs> offense? Which of these works better for us? Which of these can we trust to win us more football games? I don't think they expect either one of these guys to be anything more than a kind of, you know, bridge to their eventual franchise starter. Um, but uh, I think it's a chance they still take a, a QB here uh, if one of the big four were to fall. But, um, it's hard to say. Yeah. Hard to say. John Elway looking for a big, tall, white QB. And no, he, uh, he's not, Jones, he's not making decisions anymore, right? Oh, you're right. He did make that announcement that he was going to step down from that role. Right, right. He, 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 he did the ultimate corporate white guy thing. I'm promoting myself away from this responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> That's another podcast we can have. This, is, this, this experiment where I'm in charge of this thing has gone poorly, so I will promote myself. 
and 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 bow out to somebody different. I'll take more money and less responsibility, please. <laughs> fucking Christ. Like it was an option. Like it's uh, a fucking option for or whatever. It's a, yeah, you're right. Different show. Fuck us. Different different show. <laughs> um all right, man. Anything else for uh, for football talk for now? Um man, I'm just super fucking excited for this uh this draft. It's gonna be a good one. I too am looking forward to this draft. So, I thought it was also funny that Roger Goodell said one of the things uh, he's happy about is that he can hug the players. That's weird. That is really fucking weird, right? Like that's just weird. Because you know, Roger Goodell is like, if you want to attend the draft in person, you can't just have to be vaccinated. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing some of these players in person. And I missed hugging the players last year or some shit like that. And it's like, dude, shut the fuck up. No one. <laughs> I'm so desperate for touch. <laughs> uh, like, dude, shut the fuck up, you creepy old ass weirdo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. ugh, did not like. So, one final note that I do have, just to get away from that awful thought. Uh, one of the one of the tidbits I did see, one of the points that uh, one of these draft guys did make was that because there has been a significant decrease in the amount of contact that. Uh, team scouts team evaluators have had with other team evaluators whether that be at pro days whether that be at the combine uh, especially the combine i should say at the senior bowl they're expecting that there's a lot less group think you know there's not a lot of whole guys you know standing around in a circle saying wow i love this guy i love this 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 oh yeah i agree that's you're totally right totally right yeah 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 um not having that same group think uh, among evaluators might lead to a much more surprising and diverse first round than what's projected by uh, media members, uh, which would be fucking amazing. I would love to see that kind of draft this year. It's going to be an interesting one for sure, given all the events that we've missed and, you know, all the debacles with uh, college football, this season and how that might affect evaluations. So it'll be interesting. That's for sure. Um, Plus, the thing that matters most, Jets have the like no row pick. Uh, mm. And that's all that really matters, man. That's all that really matters is that the New York Jetropolitans get some cool shit in the draft. <laughs> um, but all right, shall we Shall we take it on down to, to the MLB? Yes, sir. The major pounds, MLBs. This feels like a joke someone should make. LBs are pounds. Why are LBs pounds? Anyway, (laughs) um, I don't know. That ain't the point of the show. So let's start here. Let's start here. Mike Talkman got traded to the San Francisco Giants in exchange for um, Wandy Peralta. Um, Mike Talkman is in a weird position in the Yankees lineup, I guess, in that he is very, very infrequently in the Yankees lineup. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's the fifth outfielder. And it's like wild that this is a guy that got brought over in 2019. And so many people said, hey, it's Brett Gardner's eventual replacement. And then Brett Gardner was stayed higher than him on the depth chart for three seasons and they had to move Mike Talkman away because that you just don't need 
a guy that does basically all of the things that Brett Gardner does, um, but is also a short-term solution and is cheap. Basically what that means to say is if you have Brett Gardner, who's old and makes over a million dollars a year, Hmm. um, he has not much trade value, but will be productive in the short term. Mike Talkman does all the same productive things, but has more control and is cheaper but you also wouldn't expect to be a long-term solution based on his past productivity and how that signals towards his future performance. So if you got to trade one of those guys and actually want to get something back, you trade Mike Talkman. So that's why I'm assuming that happened. Um, and, you know, Talkman's a solid player. This is also great for him. You know, it, it's nice to see him go to a place where he can, in theory, get some play time. Um and I think it's great that the Giants, I guess, are back to doing shit. That's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Way to go, Giants. So, uh, yeah, Mike Talkman barely played on the game, so he doesn't really have any stats from this season. Uh, last year was not his hottest season. He had um, one barreled ball. Out of 70 batted ball events, that's 1.4%. It's pretty bad. No, it's pretty bad. It's, it's quite really bad. Um, his expected batting average last season was 251. That's just, that's just not good. It's it, it it's just not great. Um, and his actual um, batting average last season. Oh, actually, I don't have it here because I'm in the fancy baseball page, not the basic bitch baseball page. Whatever. I you. Yeah. Uh, but Wandy Peralta has been um, electric with his stuff. He's been he's in the like 75th or greater percentile for um, average exit velocity, hard hit percent, expected ERA, expected WOBA, um, barrel ball percent, whiff percent, and chase rate. And he's over 50th percentile in max exit velocity, expected batting average, expected slugging. Um, and walk percent. The only place where he struggles a little bit is K percent. But in this early goings of the season, you'd expect those things to something like the strikeouts to eventually come. If the stuff is there, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's 29. He uh, he's been around for a bit, but he's uh, shaken up his, his repertoire. He's actually throwing more fastballs, believe it or not, as his usage is, is up year over year. Um, 11.5% of the time used in 2019, 2020 was up to 22% of the time. This season's up to 36.7% of the time. His slaughter usage is up and he's gotten rid of his sinker almost entirely, which is good because no one should be throwing sinkers much anymore. Uh, and uh, he has a changeup. So uh, do you need why another reliever? Of the Yankees? Why shouldn't people be throwing sinkers anymore? Because sinker balls are often used as your pitch to contact ball. And it's just not a style of baseball that I think is valued or produces the type of results that you want. I think there's better ways of getting the same thing you'd get out of a sinker by using a different pitch. Okay. I can't say I get it, but I'll trust you. I mean, you see more well, I sh- I splitters say, I and curveballs and sliders. Theory. I just don't understand the reasoning for like what, like. I, I, yeah. To be honest with you, I'm kind of there too. Cause I know, for instance, the sinker, 
is a pitch that the Pirates made every pitcher throw because the Pirates built a strategy around ground balls being derived from sinkers. The problem, I guess, is if you don't throw a sinker exceedingly well, you are going to get fucked because it's also it's still a fastball, which means that most baseball players have great slugging percents on fastballs because they see them the better and can time them out the best. And if they don't move right, they're easy as shit to square up and get tick took deep. And the problem is most players, unless your name is like Zach Britton, um, don't have the world's greatest sinker ball. And I think it just gets slammed too much because this idea of pitching to contact is what ultimately led to swing adjustments that changed the plane of swings to try to make the most out of the contact you can actually get on balls. And I think the sinker ball is just a bygone part of that era where you'd actually try to allow some degree of contact and bank on this idea that the swing plane will allow for that to mostly be a ground ball. Again, it's not entirely a hundred percent like this is the only way it can be. But I think the idea of the downward motion to get topped over balls comes about more so seeing curveball sliders, um, change-ups, and uh, splitters than it does from sinker balls anymore. Got it. At least that's how I've interpreted the last few years of baseball development. Um, especially, the easiest way to internalize it is the Pirates make everyone throw splitters pre this season, this season, they've actually given up on that finally. Um, and everyone, the pirates touch for pitching turns to pop turns to poop. They're all poop. Everybody that, that the pirates pick up to pitch is poop. All of them, all of them are poop. And uh, they all made them throw sinkers. Yes, they did. Look at, look at any pirates pitcher. Let's look at Jameson Tyone. Cause now I'm curious. Let's look at Jameson Tyone. And let's see what happened to his um, rate of splitters after he left the pirates. Oh, I'm just sweating in my apartment. It's I was not expecting it to be like 90 degrees today. Yeah, I'm pretty I'm pretty fucking hot too. Oh, you know what? Oh, there's a sinker. Yeah, so in 2016, his sinker ball was used, he used it 41.3% of the time. It's, it's actually gone down every season. Um 2017 it was at 35.1. Yeesh. Uh, 2018, 21.9. And then 2019, 19.8. Then he didn't use it in 2020 because he didn't pitch in 2020. And then he hasn't used it in 2021, at least from what I can see. Let's actually also look. I'm not curious again. Let's look at Garrett Cole, former pirate. Show me your balls, Garrett Cole. Why do you like to hurt me? Show me your balls. Okay. Yeah, I'll again, it, it, I would. What was Garrett Cole's final year in Pittsburgh, 2016? Whose final year in Pittsburgh? Was or was it 2017? Who, who? Garrett Cole. We traded Cole for Musgrove, Colin Moran. I want to say that was 2017. Maybe 2018. No, it definitely wasn't 2018. Was that the year that they won it? Houston? 20, 2017 was his last season in Pittsburgh. Got it. Okay. So in 2017, Garrett Cole's sinker ball usage was 13.1. That is down from its previous year usage of 19.2. These are percentages. And then in 2018, it was down to 6.1. 2019, it was 2.4. And then he hasn't thrown it since 2019. 
And I guarantee he- you, if you pick any random Pirates starter or pitcher uh, that left the Pirates and then look at their sinker ball usage, it's, it, it, it evaporates. His ERA went down one and a half points. His strikeouts per nine went up four points. His whip went down 0.22. His FIP went down one point, like four. His ERA plus went up by 44 points. And I mean, His some of it's to be expected strikeouts because went up by 80. Because if you were looking to get 80. a swing and a partial miss, which is basically what a weak contact ball is, why would you want to allow contact at all? If you could just pick a different pitch and construct a pitch, you know, build a pitch that just moves more out of the way so that you don't allow any of the contact. What's up, Corwin? Because that would allow you to pitch 2.2 less innings and get 80 more strikeouts. Yeah, exactly. It's ridiculous. I, I, I mean, and it lowers your fit because you're putting fewer balls in play, so your fielding independent pitching is probably going to improve if you have to rely a little bit less on the fielding and more on the independent pitching. Um, but anyway, that's why I'm this fan now. The Padres, courtesy of Joshua Tracy. Everyone, look at my cool hat. Gotta support my boy and pitching Rob. Job. Rob Robert sure. Friedman. Um, all right, so yeah, I I think it's a decent trade. Again, like, there's no I haven't seen any Yankees fans upset, which is great because y'all gotta stop complaining so much about everything. Um, it's also nice because in theory, whoever we have in the minors is going to be the guy that's going to replace Freck Gardner at this point. Um, and we got a reliever, never have too many relievers. So yeah. it works out. Uh, all right. So then in that, then let's take it to uh, something that happened today as of recording this, which is some more umpire bullshit, uh, courtesy of the Marlins Brewers game. Uh, so I'll set the scene for you. Corwin, I'm not sure if you saw this or not. Um, I did, but you did. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so Isan Diaz hit a soft ground ball down the first baseline. It was fielded then by Zach Godley, the Milwaukee Brewers pitcher at the time who picked it up underhand threw it to uh, uh, fucking Daniel Vogelbach, Jesus Christ, you know, first player for the for the Brewers, and mm-hmm. who, who put his foot on the bag to cause the force out of Isan Diaz, and the it would have been the second out of the inning, I believe. Uh, I watched it live, which was very confusing. Um, but, but some dick named Marty Foster fucking asshole um was like no 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 you touched him inappropriately obstruction take your base so basically what happened is as isan diaz was running down the line he cuts in to the infield grass to I'm guessing forced an obstruction call 
by bumping into um, Zach Godley, but they only oh so barely touched feet. <laughs> like, oh so barely. And there's a few reasons why this is very annoying. Reason number one, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't no, fucking matter. No, he was out by like two feet, not two steps, like two feet. He was out by so much. Like, just let it be an out. But the more important reasons why it mat- why it matters is that this is, again, the umps being dicks. You know what? Just because all rules technically are rules doesn't mean you have to enforce all the rules all the same all the time. There can be a sure, mutual yeah. understanding of what matters and what doesn't matter, you know? Yes, I do know. And at the end of the day, I just... I don't understand the rationale. I don't understand the call and that the, at like the biggest point of all of this should be why the fuck are you making that call? Like, why are you sticking with that call? There's nothing there that affected the play. There's nothing there that truly impeded the runner. You can't even argue. It was Godley's fault that the runner was impeded. No, uh, which is, and you know, old man complaining time. Yeah. Zach Golly didn't do anything wrong. Isandia stepped on the infield grass, which is literally running out of the base paths, which should have been an automatic out. Additionally, the contact took place after Daniel Vogelbach stepped on first base, which means by any stretch of the imagination, Isan Diaz, when he does bump into Zach Godley, is already out when that happened. So again, I fail to see how that contact matters in the slightest. In every single situation, Isan Diaz is out already, no matter what. Um, but the greater point of it is, and you and I have had this conversation so many times, um, especially around stupid bulk calls, like the guy who got called on a bulk for spitting. Like, just because it is written down that when this thing happens, there is this consequence, doesn't mean you must apply the strictest definition of that term. Like, that's why hockey can be great, because if, if, if you didn't hustle fast enough, they won't call the icing. Mm-hmm. If, you didn't, if you didn't get down to, 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 to your own end fast enough because you were trying to draw the call – you know, the, the ref is going to look at that shit and go like, bitch, that's that fucking on you. Like, I'm not dealing with this bullshit. You got to play it right. You. And you wish that there was, and I'm not saying that refereeing in the NHL is like magical and amazing. It, it's, it's, it's not, it is very much so not. Um, <laughs> but there is still some flexibility around rules that there just doesn't seem to be with certain umpires. And, I would imagine it's in MLB's best interest to say, hey, unless it directly impacts the game, shut the fuck up. Because you know what it does when you take the time to do this shit and call out all these ticky-tacky bullshit things? Slows down the pace of play. 100%. Who wants to tune into a game where the commentators are like, I have no idea what's happening? Um, the game that we have everyone do LSD for. The Doc Ellis game? Yes. No, but see, in that instance, the commentators are also on LSD. Right. So, so, so they perfectly being, understand what's happening. 
No, they are fucking their own lost. Minds. They are. They are. They don't like, know what's the happening. Commentary. The, the commentary they are making is essentially just what they are visualizing themselves. So the like the whole commentary is just going to be pure psycho like psychosis, just nothingness. Yeah. Uh, no. It'll it'll be like whatever I see, man. That's what's happening. Oh but, man. Yeah, it's uh it's a bad week for umpires, which is every week in baseball. It's the it's the main part of the season going, ah oh, man, this fucking guy? It's the best part of the sport, man. 100%. Going, ah oh, shit. Him? Absolutely. Now? Why this? Um, yeah, anyway. Um it's a developing story, but Gary Sanchez has been benched for Kyle Higashioka. Which is interesting. It is. It is interesting. And I feel, I feel for my boy Gary, because I still do believe in the tale of Gary Sanchez. And I still hold in my heart that he is getting fucked. Because I can't help but see the balls he hits and go, God damn, that man fucking smoked that shit that went right to a guy. And, you know, you, I want to look at that shit and go, you can't, you know, ah, like that's that's bad luck. And I, I still think it is bad luck. I, I. Yeah. But at the same time no matter how you look at it in the box score of what's happening, Gary Sanchez isn't getting on base and Kyle Higashioka is. And that's just the reality of the situation. Gary Sanchez has two home runs on the season. Kyle Higashioka has four. Gary Sanchez has 55 plate appearances and Kyle Gashioka is 27. That's half. Mm-hmm. He's been crushing the ball. Crushing it. And he it's has- one of those things where I don't disagree with the idea of it doesn't matter if Gary Sanchez has this otherworldly power, if he is, you know, making the moves to, you know, be more consistent. At the end of the day, if he's not if he's not becoming a a better player or if he's not, you know, playing well and the other guy is the season's long enough where it shouldn't matter like at all. Start Kyle Higashioka while he's playing well. Bench Gary Sanchez until he shows he can play better. What else do you want? Yeah, and and ju- just to emphasize the point, I really think this is this this all comes down to launch angle to to some degree. Uh, Gary Sanchez in twenty twenty one, thus far this season, average exit velocity of ninety one point five miles per hour, pretty fucking quick. Kyle Gashoka eighty seven point six. So you know, Gary is knocking the ball. I mean, three and a half extra miles per hour is is really significant um, when when you're when you're talking about an average of all contact made. Mm -hmm. And 
it's it, it it's just not happening for him. And for whatever reason, whether we sit here and diagnose it or not, for whatever reason it's happening, it kind of doesn't matter at the moment because again, Higgy's getting on base. And I I understand this is one of the the points which I always wonder with um, when you play certain players, which is the idea of hot and cold. Okay. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like, in my mind, it's like playing the stock market, like day trading, you know, everything, some things will go up. Some things will go down. Some things go up a lot higher than the market as an average does higher than the indices do. And you're going to want to get that shit going. You want to get yourself into that position, try to ride that wave as long as you can, and then jump out when you feel as though you've hit a reasonable point. I'm not saying target time the market so much, talking maybe just set reasonable expectations for how long your momentum can carry you and make yourself an exit point. And I kind of wonder, and it's the same thing, like if you're driving your car, changing lanes when the other lane seems like it's moving faster and then changing back to the lane you were in after you've gone a certain stretch of road, you know, mm-hmm. shit we all do. And yeah, I, I yeah. you got to wonder how much of that applies to starting players because every player is going to have cold streaks. Every player is going to have hot streaks. Now the tough mm-hmm. part about it is that you have to stop playing players in order to play other players. You know, you have, uh, I don't know, uh, Glaber Torres and Francisco Lindor on the same team. Uh, why you would, I have no idea. Um, or how you would, I should say, I have no idea. Let's say you did, and they, they're both playing shortstop for whatever reason. One of them has to play over the other one. And that's going to be tough to stomach for the other one, the one who's not playing. I understand that. And if you're a team, you want the other, you want both of them to play all the time because they're good players. But the idea of capitalizing on who has momentum in the moment, and I think in a league with the DH, like the American League, you should be able to have the ability to navigate that hotness to a certain extent. And I, I, I think that's kind of where Gary's at because he's not, the contact isn't the issue. He's, he's knocking the shit. It's everything else. And he's cold and Higgy's hot. And uh, it sounds stupid to boil it down to who's hot and who's cold, but the Yankees offense is shit. I bet if the Yankees offense was better, they wouldn't, they might not have put, pulled Gary so quite so early in the season since they don't wouldn't necessarily need his bat to be on it, but they need offense and they're not getting it out of him. You got to try somewhere else. In my mind, this is a complete non-issue. Yeah. 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 So damn, uh, there's some other things going on. Um, we're, we're, I'm going to, we're going to say some stuff and, for next episode and the episode afterwards is because, uh, you know, it's getting late here. I'm fucking sweating. Jesus Christ. Um, I am as well. Yeah. We're going to, we're also going to have Emily Nyman back on the show, um, next Monday, next Monday. Um, no, next Thursday. I was wrong next Thursday. So one week from today, we'll have Emily Nyman back on to talk more baseball bullshit. We'll talk about that new home run derby rule that's being considered in the, uh, not the premier league, not the Pacific league, not the frontier league. 
You know what league I'm talking about? The Pioneer League. Pioneer League. Thank you. Jesus Christ. Um, so we'll do that. We'll talk about that. And we'll talk about what else is going on in the wide world of baseball. Um, but Sunday, Monday's episode will be all about the draft as we recap what happened with that. Baseball on Thursday. And we're looking good for the week, man. we got a lot of fun shit going on. This is also the last time you'll see this apartment in my background as I move this weekend. And this shit will all be gone. I'll have a whole different background that you won't be paying attention to um, on Monday's episode. <laughs> Say goodbye to this apartment, fellas and ladies. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Uh, Corwin, you got anything else before we head out of here? Um, I will be putting 100% of my attention on the draft for the next four days and pretty much everything you're going to see from me on Twitter is going to be the draft for the next four days. Can't wait. I am prepared, mind, body, and soul. All right, buddy. Uh, If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin and Helen. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you want to send us emails, you can do so at uh, juicingthenumbers at gmail.com. I totally forgot that for a second. Um, and until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.